0: Um. and yeah, this is Jeffersonville WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello coming up next Sabrina Artel with Trailer
1: Talk stay tuned
2: We are looking for donations of all things musical. CDs, LPs, 78s, 45s, sheet music, high-quality stereo equipment, and musical instruments. Items can be dropped off at the WJFF studio anytime. For more information or directions, please visit wjffradio.org or call 845-482-4141.
1: Come to the sale the Saturday after Thanksgiving in White Sulphur Springs.
2: Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The following road session is from Confluence, People, Places, Stories, The Upper Delaware River Watershed, Self-Guided Place-Based Audio Tours. The Common Waters Partnership says this about the Upper Delaware River Watershed. The Delaware River is a vital economic and recreational resource. Basin-wide systems of forests, streams, and wetlands provide habitat for many important wildlife species. It is the only undammed river east of the Mississippi and provides drinking water to over 15 million people, including the cities of New York and Philadelphia. This exceptional waterway is threatened by development. In the last two decades, approximately 20 acres of forest are lost each day in the upper basin. The following conversation takes place in the Upper Delaware River watershed.
0: This is all so industrial. It's hard, it really is. What machine is this? Oh, this is an old machine. This is from out of the 20s. I use this mostly. I have a, a, a miter stone that I use. My name is Kathy Latournus. I live in Holly, Pennsylvania, where my studio is, and I am a stone wheel glass cutter. Kathy, what does that mean that you're a stone wheel glass cutter? What is this art? Well, unfortunately, the term glass cutting or glass cutter has been misinterpreted many, many times. I actually work on a spinning stone wheel that is functioned by a motor. I apply glass to the top of the rotating stone, and by creating different shapes on the top of the stone, I can create different cuts.
2: How did you become interested in glass cutting?
0: Truthfully, I was born into it. My family has been in the glass artistry business. Actually, I'm the seventh generation glass worker. My ancestors were brought over from Alsace, France, around the mid-1800s. I think it was right around 1863. They were um, brought to work in one of the largest glass factories in the country at the time, the Dorflinger Glass Factory in White Mills, which is the town right near us. And I grew up in White Mills. My father was a glass cutter. And I actually trained with him. I did uh, what would be considered a, a proper apprenticeship. Glass cutting itself, if
2: you could describe what that is, what this art form is, this craft, it seems to me, as you mentioned, you're the seventh generation in your family.
0: In glass artistry, all of, the, all of my ancestors prior to my father were uh, glass blowers. And a glass blower is someone who actually takes uh, molten glass on the end of a, a, a blowing rod and they shape and form the glass and, uh, using a, a, a kiln or an oven. So all of my ancestors prior to, to my dad were all glass blowers. My grandfather did also work as a glass etcher, which is an acid process of decorating the, these blank glass pieces. But glass cutting, I guess the best way to describe what I do would be to literally take you through the steps. I take a hand-blown form uh, of plain glass and we've always preferred to work on a nice quality lead crystal. Today in the United States uh, it is no longer allowed to use um, red lead in the glass making, but they have come up with great batches of glass now that are non-lead form and still have beautiful clarity and um, have the same wonderful properties that uh, leaded crystal has had in the past. And so I take a blank piece of glass and I bring it to my work table. Usually prior to this, I have an idea in my head of what would work on any particular shape or the particular shape I'm working on. And I hand, maybe draw out uh, some basic ideas on paper. Then I take uh, a quilt pen with a mixture of, um, we use, I use latex paint and water, and usually add a little bit of dish detergent to make it flow. I start drawing on the glass piece itself with this paint. Patterns have to be marked out very specifically so that lines would meet. If it has to, uh, if it's a cylindrical piece, the piece has to meet at the end. Mm. You know, so that's always important. And uh, there are ways of uh, doing that to to make sure that the marking is going to be um, cohesive and and, going to work on the piece. So I draw the pattern out in the basic pattern, and then that's when I take it to the stone wheels. And usually, say if I'm working on a floral design that's going to have flower and stem and leaves, if you can kind of picture that in your mind, what I do then is I usually start out by cutting my flowers. And I'll cut all the flowers or what, and I would use a rounded stone to cut that. And then from there I would I would cut into the glass and to do the stem. And I'm literally building that flower, building that design each step at a time.
2: Sitting in your studio, I see the machines here that you work with and I'm looking at a work in progress. Could you take us through this piece, this vase that I'm looking at that, If you could describe what I'm seeing here and and the process.
0: Well, as you can already see, some of the piece has been worked on. It has some cutting on it already. It is uh, truly a work in progress. I have been working on this on and off in the last couple of years, actually. So you can still see the markings. You can see where I divided the piece into three sections. Okay, even sections so that they're they're going to uh, the piece is going to flow properly around the piece. This is a, a really is a beautiful uh, blank. It's a what we would consider a, a barrel type of uh, vase, and it's very thick. Um, For cutting so I've got I've got lots of depth to work with if I chose to and it's a floral design with a a Pretty elaborate border on the top which I've I've never done This is a a one-of-a-kind piece and so what I've done is I've drawn out my stems from where my flowers are going to be and All of my leaf work and I've got some full flowers and some smaller buds on it And so what I've done first is I have done all the flower work, okay? this particular flower is not just one where you would actually set the piece right on the stone and leave it there or rock it back and forth this is kind of all grayed in and, and shaded in and once my flowers and my buds are all done this pattern on the top which I wouldn't even know how to describe. Uh, <laughs> I told you it's unique. This has been done basically the same way with the round stone. Then what I've done is I've changed stones, and I've used what's called a miter stone, which means it comes to a sharp point at the top. Okay, one sharp middle, middle um, point. And that's what creates, by taking the piece of glass and setting the, setting the glass on the stone, and then you have to travel with it. And that's a learned experience as well. That doesn't come all that easily. What I do is I've done all my stem work and then I've done the outline for some of my leaf work. And you can see here, I'm using a very, very uh, much finer one. I'm starting the uh, stamen for the flowers here. That is about as far as I've gotten on this piece. What is your relationship to glass and to working with it in this way as you are cutting
2: and as a glass cut artist?
0: Well, I would imagine that most people would think that, you know, pieces would shatter in my hands from time to time or that it could be somewhat of a love-hate relationship because it's it's something that can do you harm, obviously, in its uh, most unpleasant condition. I think the thing that amazes me most about what I do is that if you look at my machinery, which we're here in, our, in my studio, as you said, And it is all hard metal and and crude and all very industrial looking. And then you take this piece of glass that is going to be turned into something really lovely and pretty to look at. And it's so fascinating to believe that this comes from that. (laughs) What are the different kinds of cuts? the different stones that we we turn up our stones and when I say stones they're a flat disc with a hole in the center and then what we've done is we have leaded the center and matched it to a a threading okay so we can turn our spin our stones on and off of each spindle okay and the spindle is the part that holds the stone and that's attached to the pulley and the motor and all of that and that's how it gets its motion there are three or four basic types of shapes of stones or, or how we shape in our stones. The round stone is the stone that is soft and rounded on the top, on the edge of the stone. That is the, the cut that actually makes the flower petals or would make a round dot, okay? So if you can imagine that, you can imagine that if you take that round dot that you've applied the glass uh, to the stone and you've created that, then if you rock it back and forth then you can get an oval that is one shape of stone and then also we can do some graying and and we can sort of travel with that and that's how I have gotten this this shape of leaf okay I've expanded on that that round cut the second cut that we do is what I mentioned before is the miter and the miter meaning a, sh- a sharp point okay I have them in various size stones and various degrees of miter By doing that, I can create the stems or long thin lines, or I could create a star. I could create uh, the center of a star. And geometric patterns, or as they were always referred to as miter patterns, that's how those designs were created. Now, the next stone would be the low miter. And that's what creates these, um, they have a sharp center, but then they have a soft, rounded side. So you can imagine if, if the stone had a point in the center but it was not nearly as high a sharp point, then you would get get this type of cut. And the last stone, which we have modified in the last years, would have been called an edge stone. And that's the stone that would have come up on two sides and had a sort of rounded center, but two points. And that's the stone that would create cuts like, you would use one side of sharp edge or the other to create sort of a full leaf design
2: these cuts you know this art form has so much motion I'm noticing as you're
0: sharing these pieces with me well you know the motion part is what I have developed through the years that is something that just it's not a learned thing it's it's either something you have with you but you also need to encourage it you need to improve on it my dad always mentioned that my flower work had more of a flow than his ever did. I disagree with that because I you know I'm his greatest fan to me his work was far superior and yet he always felt that I was able to to create I don't know whether it's it's the the female in me or what, but um, that motion, that look of nature that nature had doesn't just come you really have to you have to uh, you know take it. I've been doing this for forty years. <laughs> So, <laughs> Kelly, you've been doing this for 40 years. I have years. been cutting. I've, yes, I think I'm into my 41st year. And yes. why did you want to become a glass cutter? I always knew. I knew very, very young. Art has always appealed to me. I always did well in school and art. I was the kid that would sit and draw rather than do something else. Is it unusual that you are a woman and you became a glass cutter? In the sense that, yes, years ago, of course, there are so few cutters left across the country. It's hard to say how many cutters at all are left male or female. There were no female glass cutters back at the turn of the century at the the height of the brilliant period of, of cutting. There were no women. Now, women were used in the etching process Uh, because they felt that that was more delicate work and so uh, they would be hired to do that type of work for the most part there were two different uh, cutting shops in these big factories I mentioned the Dorflinger glass factory before these big glass factories cutting uh, factories would have either a heavy wares or a light wares and what we do today is what we call what is considered light cutting opposed to the heavy deep brilliant cut glass
2: when you told your father your father is Ray Laternes. Yes, he is. And he was the sixth generation, you're the seventh, that is working with glass, that is a glass cut artist. What was his response and how did you begin
0: Initially, uh, as a young girl i would I would pester him to sit down and cot, and once in a while, he would find a stone that he felt he could sacrifice. Our stones are always very precious to us, I guess you would compare them to a jeweler's tools or whatever there there are there are precious tools as well as the machinery itself but um, with the stones, you know, if a stone is ruined, a stone can be cracked and, and no longer be of any use. So our stones are very precious, and once in a while he would find a stone that he felt maybe he could he could uh, live without. And so he would sit me down at the machine, and I would, I would cut. I think my first piece I probably cut when I was 8 or 10 years old. And believe it or not, I do still have it. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, I'd love but to see it. It's pretty primitive, but that's okay. But anyway... Um, As I started into my teenage years, um, our high school was uh, very near where the the shop that my mother and father opened. And uh, I was able to get off of the school bus at the uh, stop where our shop was. And so I would take the school bus and and, um, show up at the shop many, many, many days of the week. Where and was the shop? It was it was on Wellwood Avenue in Hawley, which is um between the town of Hawley and Lake Wompal Peck. I would show up, and uh, finally he started to realize that you know I was either going to be a nuisance to him or else he was going to so show some encouragement, <laughs> and so he he would start me out with little things, and actually I think really a lot of the first work that I did was polishing the pieces, and that polishing when I say polishing it's uh, polishing is to bring the grade toned cuts back to uh, more of a clear look to the glass, and. Um, with light cutting you only want to emphasize little areas to kind of give a highlight to it okay if it's polished if a light cutting is polished completely then it's referred to as rock crystal because it, it that's what it appears to be like almost like an ice cube he would have me polishing for a while and then you know just uh, set me up with a machine once in a while and I would start to uh, cut some different designs and he always felt it was important for me not to to allow me the creativity to develop my own patterns and from my point of view I felt the same way but only because I felt it was not uh, right or fair to him to be copying his designs as well and what distinguishes your designs, your patterns, from, for instance, your father's? To be truly honest, I'm sure whatever we have done, it has been done in the past. Because there were just literally hundreds and hundreds of patterns and designs done by just, say, one company alone. Whatever design we may come up with, I'm sure it's been done in in some way or to some degree in the past. As I mentioned before, Dad always felt that my botanicals had a, a different, little different flow to them than his did. He did by far many more uh, geometric designs that appealed to him more than it did to me, although I've done my fair share of them. Dad was uh, best known for a butterfly pattern that he had had designed, and um, it was, um, there were customers and friends who chose nothing but the butterfly pattern to collect or to uh, give as gifts a lot of the the designs i do have absolutely no florals in them and are just leaf work are many of my customers favorite designs as well
2: and what does it feel like to be sitting at that stone to be sitting at the machine i'm interested in in what that process
0: is for you you know that's interesting because no one has ever really asked me that cutting is not what most people expect it to feel like. It's a lot of muscle, it's hard, it's delicate, but in a very strong, controlled way, if that makes any sense. You're dealing with a uh, machine-operated motion, so that takes the control away from you right away. So you, you're you the one that really has to stand control of that, of that moving stone, that rotating stone, all right? I've had, even my husband has sat
2: The following was recorded on K. Ford Mountain in West Virginia in two thousand and
1: eight. Got a skelter going by, but there's there's eight schools altogether in New York that I'm involved with.
2: Well, it's so important, and what you're bringing up too is our connection. I live in New York State, and for most of us across the country, we're directly linked our power supply to the coal to the coal that's being extracted from here in West Virginia and other states in the country, but there's a direct correlation and we have a responsibility. Right. I think it's so important what you're sharing with us and that also the possibility, I, I think, for more people to have, have, as you say, you woke up or something happened to you where for the first time, even though I mean, you've grown up here, you've been part of the coal mining industry your whole life, you even worked for Massey, but took your granddaughter's health being adversely it, impacted and seeing the threat to your granddaughter and her friends to realize, really, what this damage means. Uh,
1: people shouldn't wait uh Wait for something bad to happen before they wake up. You know, you see a lot of stuff on TV now, people going green and stuff. There's more to stepping up to the plate than recycling plastic and changing your light bulbs. Everybody needs to do that, but there's more to it than that. And and please, the people out there in the world, don't wait for something to happen. It's not good, it's not a good feeling. I would have never ever done anything to hurt my granddaughter. And I like to tell people, let her tears, that's what worked for me, let her tears be the foundation of you becoming somebody better for the environment. Uh, I, I would have never done anything to harm this little girl. People says, well, why, why after you worked there all them years, you now speaking up? And, and, and I was blinded. Uh, I never thought nothing of it. Uh, I like to say I was blinded by the $13.50 I never made before. I like to say I was blinded by the medical card I was badly needing. I like to say I was blinded by the 17, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, you just don't have time to think of nothing else. You come home, you basically you don't even get a chance to shower, you're so tired. You get your bite to eat and you fall over on the couch and try to talk to your wife or what have you. Next thing you know, you're asleep and she's shoving you to get up. It's time to go again. And you really don't have time, and you really don't. And, and and we when we left the school down there three days in a row when I picked Kayla up, it was the third day that really woke me up. And uh, she was sick that day, and we went to leave that school. And we have to turn right to come up the road. And I looked over at her and made sure she had her seatbelt on, and she did. And I looked at her, and I said, Kayla, you know, her, her little nickname's Possum. But her oh, name's Kayla Possum. I said, Possum, buddy, you okay? And she said, yeah, Yes, Well she didn't say yes. She just turned and looked at me, and she was staring at them coal mines, and and tears was just pouring down her face. And she said, "Gramps, these coal mines are making me sick, making us kids sick." And and th- it was just like somebody took a sledgehammer and hit me. I like to describe like you've seen the old timey cash registers. Got all the numbers. Once you total everything up, all the numbers start mm-hmm. spinning. All the things that I knew wrong about the chemicals. Uh, the shortcuts we took on that site, and and all the bad things that I knew that I was part of and and it really woke me up it was her tears that woke me up it really hit me hard you know i felt responsible i have apologized to larry many times i used to drive through this mountain and wave at larry i worked on this site didn't know he hated my guts maybe but i don't think he hated my guts i don't think he hates nobody he just hated what we was doing to his land And, and i had no idea and didn't even know larry at the time and Uh, The same thing, Maria, when 9-11 happened, I was over in her place uh, behind her home, and I was being part of that. uh, I apologized to him many, many times, and and the only thing I know to do is step up to the plate and and, and try to help, you know, try to fix some of this back, try to make things right. And, you know, I pumped millions and millions of gallons of this toxic waste, you know, into the mountains and, and never really realized what I was doing wrong there, and you know when they take a dam and and put it at the mouth of a holler and these hollers have been here for thousands and thousands of years they have their own natural French drain in them, their own seepage in them and they're dumping this toxic waste right in the middle of these streams and it's just like a time capsule release Mm -hmm. and it's going to destroy the nation's water table, it it really is and people really need to step up and look at this about this clean coat technology and what mountaintop removal is going to do And and our mountains are so full of plant life, edible plants. We have so much uh, plants there that are good for medicines and things. And I feel if something bad is to happen in the United States, which could happen any day through terrorism or or some kind of acts like that, or even natural causes, People going to have to, to bend, depend on the Appalachian Mountains again to for survival because there is so much natural stuff. There's so much natural plant life you can eat and there's medicines there and, and there's so much good water. and the, the mountains will protect you and I think what a lot of people doesn't see around the Appalachian Mountains, if they watch their weatherman, uh, he will tell when these storms come that these mountains will break them up. That there's no danger on your path coming. And we noticing on the Channel 59 news on the, uh, that one there, he, he stumbled the other day. They're they're really favor of the coal industry. They can uh, that media there alone. Gray Carey, he is the West Virginia media president. So the media puts out there what they want folks to see. And he stumbled this this uh, news broadcaster for the weather he he started to say "Well, the mountains the higher elevations of the mountains will break these storms up to people in Ohio you know you don't need to worry but he went he really went ah uh, he said the higher elevations he just wouldn't say the higher elevations of the mountains but they know they, you know these weather people know that when these mountains are gone the storms are going to blow right by and they're going to start seeing the weather in other states that they normally have never seen before from the effects of mountaintop removal and, and it's just a sad situation that, that it's doing to what it's doing to our communities.
2: When did you meet Larry?
1: I've known Larry now for about four years.
2: Four years. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh,
1: through this movement. Through, really? Uh, I would like to say again through Kayla's tears it has got me into this movement. And uh, I could not get much community help. Just a few of us people there fighting this issue in our community. And 90% of the community, you know, worry about their job. You know, worry about this. Worry about it. I've heard every excuse in a plate and, and stand behind the children at Marsh Fork Elementary, and it's our own kids too. But uh, through the movement and through all the environmental groups coming together and things, I, I've, I've met Larry and, uh, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, I knew everybody, worked, hunted, fished for everybody all my life. Now, now I may have one friend that may come once a month, twice, you know, come and see me, but now, I also can say, I've met, i got so many more friends. And, and the ones I did have, I, they were, probably was never my friends to begin with. Now is what I'm saying, and, and and I can see who my real friends are—people that will stand beside you on issues like this. And you know, I see people, young MGS students and college students, repeatedly come back year after year, and and I know some of them have no money. I know they ride trains, they hitchhike, they eat out of dumpsters, they do everything in the world to come here to help us and. Uh, I, I can't praise the college students and, and all the environmental groups that come and, and, and the different folks that come. I've met so many, and, and uh, it's, just, it's just overwhelming to to see how they pour their hearts out to come and help us, and all of America needs to do that. They need to step up and say something.
2: Well, thank you so much, Ed Wiley. Ed Wiley, thank you,
1: Ed. Well, thank you.
2: Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Ed Wiley, and... Uh... I knew this was gonna be difficult in so many ways to come here and, and to really breathe it and see it and feel it. I can imagine it. I know how I feel about my home, my mountains, my Catskill Mountains and the different threats that that come through and the possibilities of the home that i love and the land that i love and the trees that i look at and then connected with and the wildlife that disappearing right you know and we're facing natural gas drilling now in right. in the catskill region and the similarity there are a lot of similarities there are a lot well, of connections what you're going to see there
1: first is your water table go bad if you're on well water you're going to see it.
2: i'm on well water well, if it's very yeah.
1: close at all you will see your well water contaminated. And if you see the if you see your your county commissioners coming in and talk yeah. about you know, hooking people up on city water, that is another red flag. They're they're getting ready to destroy your water table. They think they're making it better for you. Right. They're not. They're getting ready to take care of you, getting them dependent on them if they know what they're getting ready to do. And that's exactly what they done here. They they come down there to the city water and, but the gas wells will will have an effect on your land. You know, Will. Anytime you're messing with your water table, you're hurting. You really are. Right. You need to leave that water. Water is going to be a very, very big issue for too long. You're right. And it yeah. is. It already is. And, and if you look at it, uh, what would cost you more: a ton of coal or a ton of water?
2: Pictures of oh, yeah. What are those numbers?
1: Pennies of promise dot org.
2: Pennies of promise. Promise, promise dot I'm speaking with Ed Wiley. So, Ed, we were talking about an action that you took, a walk that you took in protest of the the damage that's happening to your granddaughter uh, and her classmates and the kids here in Appalachia.
1: Yeah, we uh, announced uh, our campaign, pennysofpromise.org, and we did down to Charleston, West Virginia at the Capitol. Uh, we have approached the governor several times before this and he's ignored us. So we thought we would take it to Senator Byrd. And we come up with the idea to do a walk to his home, which he is never in, and he's always in D.C. So you know, they say, well, will you go to D.C.? I said, well, sure, let's go. And so that's what we done. we we done our campaign at the Capitol, announced org, and we took off. And our goal was, was to talk to as many people as we can, get out as many pamphlets as we can, do as many presentations on the way as we can, raise as much money as we can along the way. And the big goal was, was to get inside the U.S. Capitol and talk to Senator Byrd. And we accomplished all of them. We, we got in and we talked to Senator Byrd. We spent about an hour with him and uh, we, we, we talked